if anyone's listening to this podcast, I want everyone listening to go vote. Quite frankly, I don't care who you vote for because there are people who sacrificed a whole lot for your very right to go vote. In the last podcast, I talked about my 14 classmates that are no longer with us and a good buddy of mine, David Frazier, and I gave his eulogy. You see, David Frazier and my 13 classmates died for your right to exercise your constitutional duty to go vote and elect the people that you think should represent you in office. While I hope the person you vote for is for me, it's less important. It's the meaning behind exercising your right to vote. It means a lot to me. Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It is more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360 degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a firsthand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oil Field 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Lockton Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly different. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit LockedIn.com for more information. Tomahawk Safety, a leading manufacturer of safety gloves ergonomically designed for superior fit, offering best-in-class protection and helping you combat the industry's toughest jobs. Tomahawk is also supporting our frontline healthcare workers by offering isolation gowns, gloves, masks, and other critical medical PPE. For more information, please visit TomahawkSafety.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. Welcome to the Oilfield 360 podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. Uh, I am joined by the co-host extraordinaire, David DeRode, in the Fletcher Azul Tequila Studio in Houston, Texas. Uh, David, how are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful. I'm getting better at that staring at the camera, talking. I don't have to stare thing. at the camera, do I? No, well, not yet. Not yet. But you, eventually, you're going to. So you're on that camera. And you're on camera three. Well, you're on camera three right now. Oh, so. okay. But uh, how are you? You've been, you've been all doing right? great. A little espresso. You know, it's, it's pretty, pretty you know, uh, unfortunate when you, when you already run it at uh, high tilt anyways, and then you add a little caffeine then in, in the mix and it's like you know. nitrous, man. It yeah. is. It's, it's high. It's great stuff. You're going to love it. So that voice you hear, uh, and some of you are, if you're watching us on camera that you, uh, see is, uh, our returning guests, actually our first returning guest. This is, this is fun to have you back. This is congressional candidate, Wesley Hunt, 
uh, District 7 in Houston, Texas. How are you, Mr. Hunt? I'm doing fantastic. Happy to be here. Good to see you all again. Good. Now, you're on camera, too. You can see this behind us, right? It's coming better. at you live. I see you. There oh, you this go. This guy right here. There yeah, you go. You're yeah. good. So now, this is an interesting... Uh, you're an interesting guest for us to have back. Number one, we have become friends. We like you very much. Uh, we followed your progression over the last couple months. Feeling is mutual, fellas. Feeling is mutual. Sincerely appreciate that. And uh, we don't take that lightly. I know you're a busy man. So thank you for making time to come back here. Of course. Now, I, I, I'd like to think that we're about to take credit for the recent podcast that you were just on, which was <laughs> the Joe Rogan podcast, the Joe Rogan experience, excuse me. So what was that like? That's, that, I mean, if you're in the world of podcasting like we are, he is the guy. Yeah. the biggest one in the world. What was that whole experience like? It's amazing because I've been following Joe Rogan, you know, for forever. I mean, we were talking about, you know, going back to the UFC days and, and all that crazy stuff. And I really, it, it's almost like I, I don't get starstruck very often, yeah. but you look up and you're like, I'm sitting across for Joe Rogan. I'm getting ready to talk to him for the next, you know, how many hours. And, and I remember watching him make people eat real nasty stuff on yeah. fear factor. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I mean, 2005 time frame, right? Yeah. But he's an awesome, just down to earth kind of guy. It, it, it's, you love talking to people that really are just intellectually curious mm -hmm. and they just want to hear more about your story and ask deep questions. And they're interested in learning, not interested in just projecting things on you. He is, he is amazing. And then, you know, even the banter before and then after it's just, it's just so much fun. So we've gotten to go back and forth a little bit here over the course of the past uh, a few weeks since we've met right. and um, basically said, you know, best of luck to you, you know, when you're a congressman, please come on back. I mean, we love, we love to have you. So awesome experience. Very cool. Definitely a highlight for the, for the campaign. And most importantly, he's moved here to, to Texas officially. Right. Yeah. So he left California to move to Texas. Wink, wink. Yeah. Right. This is, it's unbelievable. We got to keep, we have to keep Texas what it is because this is a guy that could live anywhere he wants in the entire world, but he chose to come to Texas for some reasons. And I think a lot of it is, is because of our industry, because of our freedom, because we believe in the constitution, um, uh, because we have low regulation, because we have low taxes. These are all things that make Texas uh, so uh, enticing for people to come to like that. And we got to keep it that way. But I, but I, in watching it and listening to it, though, too, you checked them a little bit to let them understand that Texas is a different state. <laughs> That's altogether. right. Yeah. <laughs> he gets he, it, though. He gets it, though. He yeah. gets it. That's yeah. why he came here. Yeah, yeah. That's why he came here. My, my neighbors immediate to my uh, house are from Sacramento. And they get it. And in fact, they will make you proud to be a Texan hearing why they wanted to come. And it's interesting that this, I mean, if you look at the numbers from all the moving companies, right, Texas is, if it's not number one, which I think it is in the last maybe five years, it's, yeah. it's two. Uh, and the numbers aren't, we're not small. You're having a lot of people from all over the country moving here. You know, you, you mentioned Joe Rogan being a highlight of the people you've met here. We're, there's a lot to talk, talk about today, right? And we're going to get into this whole thing. But one of the things I'm, I'm interested in is you have met a lot of people. You are busy. You're working, I assume, seven days a week at this point. Absolutely. All day, every day. Absolutely. What kind of people have you met? And I mean, you've probably met, you've lived in Houston your entire life. Yes. You're a Houstonian. You, I, we went over this. By the way, anybody listening, I suggest you go back and listen to the first episode of Wesley Hunt if you want to get an idea for who Wesley is. We're going to spend a little bit more time today on issues and maybe some, uh, you know, t blocking and tackling versus where the last interview was really to get to know you. So just a little editor's note there. But you are a Houstonian. Um, what is it like meeting your district to the extent that you have over the last, I guess, 12 months during the campaign? It's remarkable. 
I've basically been all over the district. And for those who don't know, it's it's, it's West University area, it's River Oaks, it's Bel Air Memorial, the Memorial Villages, it's the Tire Energy Corridor south of I-10, all the way out to Katy, and it is Jersey Village in the western part of Cyprus. And I've been over the entire district. What I find fascinating is I will go from one day meeting someone in River Oaks who is CEO of a company and they'll do a little small event for me in their yard. And then I will then leave there, drive up to Jersey Village and and, and meet someone that's usually actually in some way related to the oil and gas industry on their front yard as well. And what I like about that is this, it just shows the diversity of this district. and And the best people that I like to meet are 65 and up Americans that I've seen a lot in this world. And they'll walk up to me and they'll hand me a check for about 20 bucks. And they'll say, you know, we're on fixed income, we're retired, but I believe in you. And I think you're the kind of guy that we need for this district. God bless you. You have our support. And can I please have one of your signs? (laughs) Did your dad happily just throw it out of his trunk. My, dad, like, has more, my dad has more signs. Yeah. <laughs> the house, the house, you can't, you can't walk in my house without seeing a hunt sign. Right. Like it's, it's, it's like canvassed over everything. Wait till, you know, another week or so. And he gets to say <laughs> my son's a congressman. Right. He'll be, he'll be, he'll be over the moon. But I think that's the kind of people that I like to meet. And it's really neat. And it's been really fun because my dad's a praying guy. And at the end of each prayer, he would always end it with me, your humble servant. And I like the idea of taking this message for me, Wesley Hunt, to be your humble servant for this district. And that's why we're here. This is just like another form of service. I mean, it's absolutely. That's really all it is. And that's why I think we need more veterans in Congress, because if you could imagine people, brave men and women that are willing to put their lives on the line for the country, imagine what we will do when it comes to upholding our values in this district. David, how are we going to get anything done on this podcast. I just, I mean, Jim, his guy was talking about a time frame. He's bringing up veterans. We've got, I mean, do we, do we talk about the video, the reloaded video? Do we talk about the service? How are we going to get this thing well, done? I think we do. And, and I do want to talk about all that stuff. We've got, we've got some great veterans coming on later this week. Uh, Justin Bliffin and Kevin Pope and, and uh, from Brigade Energy Services. But I think the interesting thing you bring up about veterans, we talked about this in our first uh, inter interview conversation, whatever you want to call podcast. Pre-show prep. Yeah. Was that, um, (laughs) we're still learning perspective. You know, I think, I think veterans, particularly in the last 20 years have a lot of perspective. They've been around the world. They've obviously seen, most of them have seen combat or have been in theaters of combat and they have perspective. So when they come back here, hopefully come back here, you know, maybe filter back into normal day life unless they're still serving our country, which is a which is a big deal. But they have some perspective on how amazing it is to be in the United States of America versus some of these other places that they've been where women still are fighting for rights uh, or are just now getting to a point where they might be able to drive or whatever, that kind of stuff. I think people take it for granted. And I, and I, and I think one of the things that I see in a lot of people that run for office is they lack perspective perspective. That's that's correct. Well, I think you have a campaign commercial um, that was shortly after you came on the podcast, which I think we could safely say has completely turned this campaign into a, another level. The, you had the chain and you talked about being the victim or the victor on the initial podcast. You, and I'd like you to comment, you had a uh, campaign commercial that's very powerful representing that. And I'd like to know 
the thought on that? And then what kind of feedback did you get from that commercial? You have the chains, yes. the chains one. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I'll, I'll say, I'll let you set it up. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really important for us to re- to remember those that have come before us and the sacrifices that have been made for us to live in the greatest country in the world. And as rough as it might seem today, guess what? It's still the greatest time to be in the greatest country in the world, despite of what you might see on television. Because countries actually don't move and don't mature as fast as, as we have. And I'm the kind of person that wants to touch on the past, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But most importantly, let's talk about the progress and then let's talk about our future. So I had an ad that ran that talked about my great, great grandfather. His name was, a man, his, his name was Silas Crawford. Uh, he was born on Rosedown Plantation, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about uh, about 60 miles north of Baton Rouge. And when you think about three of his great-great-grandchildren, my brother, my sister, and I all attended West Point. Uh, my sister has her master's degree in applied mathematics. Uh, I have three master's degrees from Cornell University. My brother has his master's degree from Harvard Business School. We've all had the honor and distinction of serving our country abroad and in combat. We all get to wake up in the morning and live the American dream. That happened in just a handful of generations. So what are we talking about exactly? Now, as a black man in this country, I'm the first to admit that, of course, we have a ways to go. We, we're human beings. We are, we are all inherently flawed due to the human condition. But, but look at what we've done and look at what we can continue to do as long as we do it together as Americans. The rising tide raises the elevation of all ships. I say this almost every day. And the reason why that ad to me was so important is because I'm holding chains, chains similar to um, what my ancestry was bound by, and I'm dropping them because just a handful of generations, here I stand and here I sit running for United States Congress in a predominantly white district. Yeah. And the beauty of it is, is that no one cares about the color of my skin. I get to literally wake up in the morning every day and live Martin Luther King's dream. I am literally being judged by the content of my character, not by the color of my skin every day. And this is the kind of message that we need to bring to D.C., not the other way around. You are absolutely right. I talk about being the victim or the victor. You have a choice in this country. Either the espresso just hit me or I am extremely fired up after hearing you talk about that <laughs> because it is it is true to listen to you. We, before the show started, we have some, uh, like I told you, you were, a lot of people called us and say, hey, can I come and listen to the podcast live? And we had somebody that wanted to come in and uh, her mother-in-law does not live in your district and wrote you in as her candidate for her congressman. And we did a little FaceTime uh, and, you know, and this is, this is a 65 year old lady. I'm honored by that. And, and that's, that I'm goes to the, the content of the character. And I really do believe some of the, um, you know, the show is apolitical. We're going to try to keep it as centered as we possibly can here, but there's no doubt that one of the things that the show wants to support is reasonable thought, people that can get things done. You, you mentioned the areas that you live in. That is very important to this audience. This audience is, I mean, this is the oil field 360 podcast. We are, um, you know, we are one of, if not the largest uh, energy show in the world. We have a broad audience, nationwide, domestic, what, and, and international. So I want to pivot just a little bit to, you know, the energy that you're talking about, the ability to get things done. There, I have a lot of also show notes before the last presidential debate. So I'm curious to know, you obviously watched it with uh, Vice President Biden and President uh, Trump. What are your thoughts on what you saw? And then specific to that, the energy 
um, comments were, I think, somewhat jarring to many of us that, that pay attention to that kind of stuff. So for the last few months, we have watched uh, Vice Pre former Vice President Joe Biden waffle back and forth as to rather or not he wants to end fracking. So in one state, he'll say, no new fracking. Look into my eyes. We're going to move away from, from, from the oil and gas industry and fossil fuels. And then he'll go to Pennsylvania and say, I didn't say that. I, I, that's not what I meant. I, I meant we're going to... You, you saw this going back and forth over the course of the past few months. And then the last 10 minutes of that debate, he told us exactly where he stands. Not just him. He told us exactly where that party stands. And we are talking about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who is the co-author of the Green New Deal for the Senate and the radical ideas of Nancy Pelosi. And then now we're getting down to my candidate, Lizzie Fletcher, who votes with her 99% of the time. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have a choice here as to what's going to happen with the oil and gas industry should they get elected? Right. We, I have to hear that again. Your opponent votes with Pelosi 99% of the time? That's correct. 99% of the time. So that's, that's lock and step. What, what does that mean? See, I, I would have thought she had to be more reasonable on that front, but there's with, with the audience of District 7, and it's just no party lines be damned. This is the way we go. Whenever Nancy Pelosi casts a vote and calls for her vote, she's going to get it. That's exactly what that means. And even if it means some radical ideas that would destroy the oil and gas industry right here in Houston, they're going to have her vote, which I find to be fascinating because you are one of 435 people that's supposed to represent their respective districts in this entire country. How could you possibly vote with the ideals of California and not the ideals of Texas? Correct. This is and this is not even a political issue. This is actually more of a are you going to represent your district appropriately or not? It's my opinion that she obviously is not. Now, I think I've talked before about, you know, being a climate denier. I am not a climate denier at all. I think it's even kind of a generational thing. Millennials tend not to be. Uh, but the issue is, is this. If we're going to get to the next abundant and most importantly, affordable energy source, not just for the U.S., but for the entire world, you're not going to get there without us. And when I was on the Rogan podcast, I talked about the microphones that we were speaking in and the clothes on our backs and our shoes on our feet and the chairs that we are sitting in are all byproducts of hydrocarbons and fossil fuels. Like this is, this is not a game. So you, we shouldn't be demonizing our industry. The federal government's role should be to empower the private sector to continue to innovate for the future. It's what America does best. And right now we have a fight. We have a fight on our hands. And either you're going to stand with us or you're going to stand against us. As a congressman for CD7, the energy district of the world. Of the world. Let's be clear. About I mean, that. it is. It's, of it's the, the energy district of the world. If Houston is the energy capital of the world, the city itself, this is the energy district of the world. What are you talking about having a representative that votes with Nancy Pelosi 99% of the time? Democrat or Republican, that to me doesn't make any sense. I think the people in this district understand that. I think that's why we're doing so well. And we got to keep on pressing here for the final eight days. But this is not lost on people. That debate, the last 10 minutes of that debate, and even when President Trump came out and said, you hear that, Texas? Yeah. You hear that, Pennsylvania? You hear that, Oklahoma? We hear it loud and clear. We cannot allow the federal government to take drastic, drastic moves to end an industry. 
That's not the role of the federal government. You know, it's interesting, and it, 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 it's, we could have a whole discussion about this all day around education, which is something I want to chat about and uh, all that. But energy is not a binary discussion. And and I think there is there is a misunderstanding by so many people that we can just flip the switch and everything's going to just run on unicorn farts and all this other stuff. <laughs> and I just, I don't, I don't get it. Uh, and I don't know where that's coming from. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? The issue is, is it's innovation for the future. It's my opinion that the, if Jeff Bezos doesn't get there first, the first trillionaire has already been born and he or she will devise the next affordable and abundant energy so energy source for the entire world. But again, we have to get there. When the federal government steps in and says, hey, by 2035, we're not we're going to be carbon neutral and there's no new fracking and that's it. You, you, so what are you going to replace that with? How are you going to fuel the world? How are you going to fuel the U.S.? If we're talking about global warming, this is way bigger than the United States. Way bigger. We could literally snap our fingers tomorrow and be carbon neutral. But what would that do to the globe's carbon footprint? Nothing. Well, what's amazing to me is I don't think people have an appreciation for the continuous improvement that happens in the fossil fuel industry. And like, I've got a new Suburban, not bragging or complaining, but one of the things that's so asinine to me is I haven't figured out how to turn off that automatic... No, the, the automatic the, start thing. The when you automatic stop, start it turns thing, the engine yeah, off, and then the engine off. And and when you think about that, I had some folks in the in the car with me earlier. Earlier, exactly, who's been on here, and and David Finan, who's partners with Patty Melcher and Greg Davis, and and we were talking about that and the impact that ha- that feature has on vehicles largely found in Europe today, and in in our is more mainstream in the U.S. is pretty amazing. But but some of the things that we can do to change behaviors is not out of reach. And, and there was something that put out by the Manhattan Institute the other day. They said that a barrel of oil is the equivalent of spending $200,000 on Tesla batteries, puts out more energy than $200,000 worth of Tesla batteries, which weighs 20,000 pounds compared to a barrel of oil. And, and I don't think people have an appreciation for that. Wind and solar is really neat and interesting. It's not the alternative solution. Well, you know, you brought Nuclear up something, there, you brought up something the other day, popular. though, that uh, energy and transition versus energy and what was, what was the transformation? Transformation. Have you ever heard of the energy and transition comment? I'm sure that's something. Have you ever heard energy and transformation? So, I mean, that we, David and I have a, had a pretty good discussion about that. And it, they're actually both right. Because it, it's not a transition; it's a, it is transforming. And to David's point, well, I think I think there was some some Leslie Byer, who's a friend of ours, who's who we're producing a podcast that she's hosting called Energy and Transition. She got put a comment out there on LinkedIn, and there's there were some negative comments that came back, which were not appropriate. I don't think. Well, just surprising, think, just but, surprising. But it's, but it's interesting, and I go back to like Frank Luntz, the pollster, and how he pays attention to body language and words and this that, and the other. And there's some folks saying transition has can have a negative connotation. I think it can also have a positive connotation. It depends on how you, how you utilize it. But we cannot transition. It's just not. It's just not physically possible for us to transition away from oil and gas right now. Like you want to talk about electric electricity? Sure, we can do that. But what about all the plastics and the petrochemicals associated with all the stuff that makes renewable energy work? Everything else. So but speaking of transition, you know, I'm, I made some notes here and what are people talking about 
I've got notes like healthcare, energy, COVID. What, what are they talking about in your district right now? So people are talking about all of the above. Uh, you, you bring up healthcare here, and uh, that's been a lot of ads that's actually been running against me is the notion that, that I am opposed to protecting American citizens with pre-existing conditions. And that's arguably the most absurd thing I think I've ever heard well, in my life. Real quick, though, but it's, you know, I know what commercials you're talking about, and they don't just say it as calmly as you, as you said it. It's this just sinister Wesley Hunt looks to do that. I mean, does that, I want to know, number one, the facts behind it, but two, when you see this, do you just think I would never do that? Why, why are you making me seem like I'm trying to hurt people that need healthcare? Does it bother you? It's it's the name of the game, but that's just like you were talking about, David, it's about perspective for me. That doesn't, things like that don't bother me given what I've seen in my life. What I recognize is I got to stay on target. I got to stay on my message and people will see through that given what my messaging is, who I am, my service and sacrifice. So let me get this right. Uh, uh, The person who is a combat veteran who went to West Point, whose family has all served and who was married to a pediatric nurse practitioner at Texas Children's who has her doctorate in nursing, that just up until four weeks ago, she had the ultimate pre-existing condition because she was pregnant, wants to take away the rights of those with pre-existing conditions in this country. And if that's believable to the voter, you're not voting for me anyway. Because they're not paying attention. That's ridiculous. And the message that we have to promote is who I am as a person and who I am in terms of service and what I understand the role of the federal government is, which is number one, it's to keep her citizens safe. Protecting the most vulnerable, I believe, falls into that category. The other issue that I have with that comment is that is, is, is this. If Nancy Pelosi were to pass a single standalone bill with no pork and no fat, nothing else attached to it, that just mandates insurance companies to cover citizens with pre-existing conditions. It would pass unanimously through the House, unanimously through the Senate, and the president will sign it tomorrow. So why won't you do that? Well, because during political season, you want to run negative ads against Republican candidates to, to try to tear them down and make them seem, as you so eloquently put it, sinister. But I, I'm not quite sure that's going to fly here in a district like this. I think we all know that we need to protect the most vulnerable. I think we all know that allowing our children to stay on our insurance policies until the age of 26 is actually a very good thing as well. The issue with the Affordable Care Act is the cost of care. That's now actually unaffordable for the average American and particularly those with small businesses. They know what I'm talking about. So ads like that that run, I'm not quite sure it's even all that bad because there are small businesses that are struggling to cover their own employees with the current health healthcare system as it is right now. What we want to do is address the cost of care. How do you do that? By allowing insurance companies to sell their policies across state lines. That's called creating competition within the market. It's a good thing. Prescription drug transparency is actually being worked on as we speak and allowing people to know how much these drugs cost and where else they can go to get it. What does that do? Creates competition within the market. That's called capitalism. And then lastly, the one thing that the ACA did was put everybody in the same risk pool. Here's what I mean by that. If you're 60 and up, we actually spend the bulk of our healthcare in the latter parts of our lives. Um, Guys like us tend not to, actually. And so what the ACA did was it took that high risk pool, put it with us, and then everybody's premium skyrocketed. 
what I would offer is that we have some kind of way to decouple those risk pools, have the federal government work with the states to supplement that higher risk pool, and then let, let everybody else pay lower premiums. If we did those three things, we would literally decrease our costs by 40 to 50%. But why aren't we talking about that? Because Nancy Pelosi would rather play political football with this whole issue and demonize those that actually are here to keep everybody safe. It's maddening, actually. You, in know, you said something about a second ago um, where the video, you know, the commercials and coming at you or whatever, they, they do make it sound like there's something that's that you're trying to sneak in, get you in there, and then you're going to do something terrible. My, my question is, you know, you you want don't just need, but you want people from the other aisle, other side to vote for you as well. I'm curious to see and know what type of interactions you've had the last six months with Democrats that are you know, maybe, not, again, I think a lot of people in your district are, you, you live in a great district and you represent a lot of very smart people from which, whichever section you're going to are very smart. So I would imagine you have a lot of people that, that are considered about their candidates and their thoughts. So what type of questions and in interactions have you had with Democrats versus Republicans? So if you notice, usually when I speak, I, I talk about being the representative for this district. I oftentimes say, I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. In fact, I tend to use specific names like Nancy Pelosi, not Democrats or liberals. I say, Nancy Pelosi, this is a problem. I talk about my opponent, Lizzie Fletcher's voting record with Nancy Pelosi. This has nothing to do with party, actually. This is more about, are you going to represent this district or not? And usually when I do have an opportunity to engage Democrats that may or may not have decided or considered voting for a Republican, by the time we're done, by the time we're done chatting, overwhelmingly, it's, I, I, I won't tell you, I, I, I will hear this. I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to vote for you, but I'm going to think about it. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard, you know, I've never voted for a Republican before, but I think you might be the kind of Republican that I can vote for. If I, a, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, I wouldn't have to raise any money. Now, we have to raise money still, but, but, that's, but therein lies the point. Sure. I, I think if people can have reasonable conversations and listen to reasonable voices, regardless of what your party affiliation is, and a district like this that's highly educated, it'll resonate very well. The best compliment that I've gotten so far on the campaign trail, one of one of a few, was was actually from Joe Rogan. At the end of the podcast, he said, I don't know if anybody could listen to this podcast for the past couple of hours and not view you as being a reasonable human being. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're right back to the show. Prang & Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang & Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust. A leading provider of U.S. oil field research known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach, as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for more information. Galtway Marketing. Answer this question. What makes your company different? You have seven seconds to catch a customer's attention. Galtway Marketing can build your brand and craft your message for maximum impact across all your marketing efforts. 
Visit galtwaymarketing.com slash O360 to bring your company into the 21st century. Thank you to our sponsors. And now back to the show. I, I completely agree with that. I love that comment. Now, I, listen, Rogan's amazing. And I mean, he's right. And that's one of the reasons that we, you know, David and I were excited to to have you back on is we, we really do. David is, uh, you know, if you've listened to the show, you talk to David, it's a lot of the content that we have comes from David in the sense that we are, there are things that we do as oil and gas people that nobody knows about. Right. And we just need to tell them about it. There are things that Democrats do that are great that because of, you know, the, the news media is just never going to tell you about it, whether that be for Republicans or Democrats. And I just wonder, you know, how do we, or how do you get through the noise that's created and, and how do you look at uh, bringing people together. So you, you ultimately always have to be a voice of reason. And if you're talking about this country, for example, and as I learned from Senator Tim Scott, you lead with your heart and you talk about how you feel about people and how you're willing to listen to other people, not talk at people, but, but talk with people. How do you have substantive conversations right now? We are living in a cancel culture where if somebody moderately disagrees with you or they hear that you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, then literally it, there is there is an automatic shutdown. I am running for U.S. Congress. I don't have the luxury of being able to do that. Quite frankly, I don't even call it a luxury. Actually, actually I think it's I think it's terrible. It's my job to listen to people and not pass judgment. And the one thing I said on Rogan's podcast, I think has always stuck with me in my entire life is I really don't like it when people lead a conversation with how could you do that? Or how could you think that? That, that? That's not right. The question is, is why do you think that? Why did you do that? You see, one premise leads with the idea of wanting to learn more. The other premise leads with the idea of condemnation before even having a conversation. If you seek to understand and you ask somebody, you know, Wes, you know, what? why are you Republican? Tell me. Tell me about that. I get this question every now and again. I, I don't know very many black Republicans. Like, tell me about your life. Why? That's a way better start than <laughs> how could you be a Republican? Because you're not seeking to understand. Now, but if you ask me why, and by the time I get done telling you about my story and my family history and growing up in a Baptist church and growing up in a very conservative home and those things kind of start to make sense. You may not agree with it, but at least you have a better understanding. And this is a two-way street, by the way. Now, I'm clearly not that liberal of a person, but I have a lot of liberal friends. You went to school in Cornell. I went to Cornell University, and they're still my friends. Right. We don't see the world the same way, obviously, but I actually know where they came from. I know their family history. I know why they think that. They know why I feel the same way about my life. And guess what? We're still friends. I think one of the things that I, I thought was so powerful in our, in our last conversation on the podcast was on the topic of privilege. You know, when you're talking about having both your parents, your brother and your sister, loving family, how that was privilege. That is a great, I forgot about that. that. That's a part that people need to go back and listen to about how advantaged he was growing up. Yes. And recognizing that. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point on that. And I don't, I don't think it matters if you're, you know, rich or poor or whatever. If you truly have your parents engaged, that is a big deal because I've seen, I've seen some very privileged people in the way that 
people use that term, come from wealthy family, et cetera. They're not really privileged at all. One or both parents are absent. They don't really care. They're just kind of doing their thing. The kids are doing their own thing. And so, you know, I think that level of engagement, whether it's parent child or citizen to citizen is, is, is critical. We have a, we, we have a, a manufacturing company and we've, we've, have a deadline that was pretty tight. So uh, I, I worked all weekend and I you know I've been working there the last couple of months, but I, I had to go up there to some overnight shifts for really the last you know week or so. And we've got employees have been with us. We've got black guys, we have Hispanics, we have Hispanic women, black women, white guys. I mean, it's, it's an, it's a true hodgepodge of it's America. It's America. It's what it is. And the last 72 hours though, have been so intense that basically nobody went home. You were, you were working all out, literally all nighters and shipment goes out this morning. I went over there to say goodbye and everybody, or, you know, congratulations. And people are high fiving. we took a picture and I posted it and I wrote this long comment this morning. I, sh- I shrunk it down to do, I'm just proud of these guys. And what I was really wanting to say was the conversations that we've had over the last couple of weeks. I mean, we have talked about everything. I mean, there, there have been the, the Black Lives Matter stuff going on, these, you know, the collapse of economies and jobs and houses and all the things that you, that everybody watches on the news every night. And we've had difficult discussions with men and women who are definitely on different aisles politically, right? Different sides on politically. And the level of understanding between us, me, them, you know, whatever the topics were has been unbelievable. And, and I wrote, and I, I always remind myself of this. It's very hard to hate someone, you know, Yes, you know, and if you just go meet somebody, one of the things you said on the podcast last time, I think David asked the question is, or I don't remember how it was phrased, but you essentially said, turn off the TV. I mean, are you constantly spreading the message? Hey, you know what? You should just go across the street and meet your neighbor. Think about that. But just think about your own personal experiences that you've had. Like if you seek to understand, you'll get way further. And the military helped out with this tremendously. So the military is a melting pot. When you're in combat and there's IEDs going off and the bullets are flying, the people are shooting at you, you don't care at all about somebody's race, religion, color, creed, sexual orientation. You're trying to get back home. So the military automatically cuts through all of that because we have one mission and one fight. And we're in, we're in this foxhole together. So consequently, we're at, we're at formation every morning. We got to work beside each other every day. We got to eat together every day. And by the time you're done training and by the time you're in the middle of a deployment, you do know everybody's family. You do know their history. You do know where they're from. They might, you might not agree with them at all politically, but you know them and you're in the fight with them. These are all tenets of the military that I think need to be transferred in Congress. This is, and the reason I, I don't mean to keep coming back to these, these difficult subjects, but they're important because, you know, they're just subjects. They aren't difficult. We have to talk about them or else nothing changes. And that's, that's, exa- that's a better way of saying it. What I, what I really was trying to imply is that you're going to go up to an area where you have people from all over the country. And I'm, I'm trying to establish a baseline of how, how do you, Wesley Hunt, bridge these gaps, whatever this, how do you engage with the, the, the you're going to have to deal with Nancy Pelosi. You're going to have to, right? I mean, at some level and there's going to be, I mean, not directly, but there's going to be, you know, as you're in Washington you, the experience that I'm listening to you talk about is you've been bridging these your entire life. You've been talking about subjects like this. And I honestly believe that's where this country is at. We have got to have somebody like Wesley Hunt that goes up there and can open these doors, shake these hands. How do you, do you feel that responsibility? Cause I, I believe you're going to win as well. And, uh, 
I know David is uh, the same thing. So like, what are you starting to feel the responsibility? I've, I've going to carry a pretty big torch here to go talk about the industry, the oil and gas industry reasonably. I mean, do you feel those kind of pressures coming at you yet? I felt this pressure for my entire life. In what way? What do you mean? This has been, this has been what I've been doing for my entire life. This is actually not even new to me. So when I think about, you know, my first year in middle school, when I went to St. John's here, here in uh, Houston, uh, there was one black guy in the entire grade. And that was me. I've always been the minority. I've always been the person that's always looked a little bit different. That's always had to have a little bit more understanding with people's, with other people's bias and, and, and schemas. I've always been that person that's had to figure out ways to bridge that gap. I've been trained to do so. What I found out in my time is that most people actually just want to be understood. Even though they may think differently than you, they just want you to understand where they've, where they've come from. When I left St. John's, Again, there still were not very many black people when I left and I was put in leadership roles from captain of the football team and captain of the basketball team. And um, I was one of the prefects in high school and go on to West Point for more leadership roles. And, and what I find interesting about this is this. These young high school students chose me to be their leader. And I was literally one of the only black person in the entire grade. So let's fast forward this to right now as I told you, the makeup of this district. Again, I find myself oftentimes being the only black person in the room, yet people are selecting me to be their leader, not because of the way I look. And the reason why I'm able to do that is because I look at every individual person and I give them a chance. See, I don't assume that just because you're white that you're racist. I don't assume that at all. In fact, you have to show me that you are. I know racist black people as well and racist Hispanic people and racist Asian people. I give every individual a chance. When you do that, what you're going to find out in this country, overwhelmingly so, people just want to be understood and heard and represented appropriately. They can literally care less with how you look. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I grew up in the South, in the Deep South. I have a lot of family in Deep South. Yeah, we're in the Southwest. Yeah, we're in the Southwest. but. I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty perceptive person and pick up on things and certainly empathetic and certainly I'm aware of, of past actions and a lot of negative history, but I've got a lot of black friends and I've got, I've got a lot of friends from, from every, I'll put David's friendship list up against anybody you've ever met. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, yeah, this yeah. guy knows everybody. But, but what I don't understand is I feel like, and this is also something you touched on in our last conversation, we are in this continuous state of improvement in this country. I think we have some blips where we have some massive disagreements. I don't think we'll ever go back to a civil war side, but I mean, we're on polar opposites, it seems, or so the media wants you to, to believe. But just around in Houston and, you know, just talking with people, I don't, and again, talking with people, I think is critical. Talking with people, yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily see it. I mean, yeah, you can see it in some people here or there, but as, as, as a majority, though, I don't necessarily see that. I think we're getting better. I think we'll continuously get better. What I'm most concerned about, though, is what somebody brought up the other day, and this is something I want to ask you about, is education in this country. I, and, they, and, and this was 
uh, Dan was at a thing at the Petroleum Club the other day, and and I didn't get a chance to ask him about a one-two in front of the audience. But because somebody had mentioned about the school boards, like who's paying attention to these school boards and allowing kids kids are 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 not being allowed to be kids anymore. They're 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 being they're they're looking to their parents. They're looking to, to all this information they never had access to before, and they seem to be forming uneducated opinions a lot sooner than they used to. And that that I think matriculates into into these these behaviors where they they don't feel like they can communicate with one another. What are we going to do about that? Maybe I don't know if that you. Well, I mean, do you, how much? No, no, I but, do. I mean, with regard to education, I, it's what are you? What is your take on the state of the education? I mean, are you going up? Is that some a platform that you stand firmly on? I mean, I'm sure it is. Education is something that's near and dear to my family's heart because my parents taught us that the great equalizer in this world is always education. So we had a whiteboard in our house. My dad's retired lieutenant colonel. And above the whiteboard, it had Jesus, Jesus plus education equals success. We had, I'd read that every single day, by the way. Just say it again. Jesus, I, I, Jesus plus education equals success. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm only laughing at the amount of expectations that you came from as I'm listening to you describe your military yeah, father. Oh, that's fun though. That has, he's, he's the most fun you'll ever have. He's a, he's a stand-up comedian. He's a good man. He's my hero. I, I have a question, just switching gears a little bit. Um, do, do you feel that, you know, COVID relief, I've got some different notes here about, you know, what are we going to end up doing with, you know, because businesses are in trouble. Like we have to reopen. I mean, I'm, I'm a business owner. David is a business owner as well. Um, what, what does that look like for you to the approach of we can't, again, I'm only speaking for me on this. One of my favorite restaurants is out of business. Love this thing. Which one? Super chicken. Super chicken. Right, Delicious. Right, right over here. Absolutely. I'm, I don't want to get into it. I'm so pissed. I love the place. We were even volunteering to, to donate money to help him keep his doors open. And that, I, I really can't get into it. I love super chicken. So I'm a little upset about this. It's really good. Chicken. So there's lots of good restaurants that are closing. Lots of good businesses, you know, people's entire life savings. What, what does that look like to you about turning on the economy, getting back to, I don't want to say normal, but normal. I mean, have you had much time to think about of that? Of course, I think about it every day. Right. This is this is such an important issue that we have got to understand in this country that we have to keep those who are most vulnerable safe. And also we have to realize that we have to get our kids back in school and we have to get our businesses started again, because if we're not careful, there's not going to be an America to come back to. Right now, we are so polarized that it's, it's either it's just binary. It's either ones and zeros. This is not a binary decision that needs to be made. We have got to be more creative and we have got to make sure that we don't destroy our industries that have been completely destroyed right now over the course of the past few years. Well, the, the past few months, excuse me. The, no, you're right. Well, I'll pick up from that. I'll tell you a funny story. So I, I called Wes, I called Wesley the other day and I, and I had a couple of questions for him. One, where can I get more yard signs? Cause I had one of my colleagues that was asking for yard signs. You get your yard signs, brother. And he couldn't get anybody to call him yard back. And I said, well, let me, let me, let me call, see if I can get a hold of the man and see, see if I can get some yard signs. So David, you go just straight to the top. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> roll, hey, okay. what are you supposed to do? Yeah, I like it. David doesn't mess around. Not on a website. Then, He's just going but, straight to him. But then I asked him, I said, Wesley, another question I've been wanting to ask you, cause I've got a lot of stuff going on. One of my weaknesses is brevity. And I've got some stuff. I think I've got some good ideas. I don't know, but I, I, I need some help with my messaging. So is there, are you utilizing a coach or anything like that? And he, and he goes, no, no, I'm just, uh, 
thinking about what I'm saying, saying it. I go, of course you are. You know, you know, Superman, Mr. America, three master's degrees. Of course he speaks fantastic. So, so one of the things we do like to talk about, I, and I didn't know whether to bring this up, but you are, you're in the middle of a campaign. You're, you're working seven days a week. And you mentioned your wife uh, having the ultimate pre-existing condition, uh, a baby up to four. So you have a four-week-old. That's right. That's <laughs> how, right. Olivia, how is that? Olivia Lilly. They have a, have a Victoria Rose and Olivia Lilly. And Victoria is pretty young as well. And Victoria is 20. She'll be 21 months here coming up here in about a week. I miss describing my kids in months. Enjoy this. The only reason why is this is what my wife tells me. You're right. No, listen, you're because right. I actually have no idea what she's talking it's about. It's a beautiful. I, I don't know what months mean. I, I, I don't know what that means. I, that I means you still have a baby. Right. That, that's all, I, that's all Which that means is beautiful. to me. She's almost two. That, that's yeah. really in my mind. But I have children that uh, will not come to me. They don't pay attention to me, and I have to describe them in years. So <laughs> there you go. enjoy it's the coming. months you go. portion of this life. So you yeah. have a four-week-old mm-hmm. and a 22-month-old. Yep, 21-month-old. 21, excuse me. Yeah. Okay, how, and how is everybody? Is mama sleeping? Are you sleeping? Everybody. I tell you what, for whatever reason, both these kiddos, we make babies that sleep for whatever reason. That's amazing. They're both pretty good. And I actually, my wife is again, pediatric nurse practitioner at Texas Children's. So I think she has a secret sauce on how to, on how to get kids on a schedule and how to get them to sleep. So trust me, I could take absolutely no credit for this. Um, But it's been really neat because, and yeah, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's not Iraq 2006 flying 55 missions in the, in the summer. I mean, that, that's, it's not that bad. It's actually kind of fun. Well, you have a, you have a home unit here, obviously parents. We've, parents we joke, here, I want to meet your dad here. one day, by the way. We've oh, joked yeah, about him. We're, we're making him famous on the podcast here. You will. Willie Hunt. Yeah. He's the, he's the guy. Okay. Are you, are you going to move to DC no. when you win? No. You'll stay here. Absolutely. That's part of the problem. You know, you don't, you don't leave your district. I view this as a deployment. You're supposed to fly back and forth. You're supposed to make sure that you connect with the people in your district so you know what's going on. And the second you move to D.C., you start to lose touch with exactly what's happening in your own district. And this is why we should have term limits. And this is why I think we need, you know, younger people that have been in the military to continue to run. Because if you're working hard and you're flying back and forth and you're spending three and four days a week away from your family while you're in session, you can't do that forever. But our founding fathers set this thing up. In the Constitution to make sure that you had citizens that would go serve in D.C. for a stint, make laws. And the catch was this. You had to go back and live in your district and deal with the laws that you've made. We have a time now to where people forget that we have lifelong politicians that 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 then stay up in D.C. and they aren't incentivized to make good laws or for that matter, any laws at all. Right. Because they don't return home to have to live with them. Who, uh, who's the Navy veteran, Joe, uh, in uh, L.A.? Who's running against Maxine Waters? Oh, the black guy. Uh, Joe. Um, I loved his commercial. Did you see his commercial, Wesley? Uh, of course I did. Yeah. yeah. That was awesome. Of He's sitting in Maxine's driveway. Yeah, so and Maxine, by the way, thinks gasoline just comes out of the ground. Like it does not get, it's not a refined process. Of course you're not. And, and he's. She does not like live was, in his, yeah. she is not living in, in her district, which is a district, which is a very challenging district. Like Com- so Compton's many in there. Districts. Yeah. He's the, that, the kids from Compton. And he's, you know, great guy. You know, I thought it was brilliant. So he starts in her neighborhood and then walks through his neighborhood. It. But that's really interesting. You bring that up. It's like, you have to make, you have to make a decision. You have to do your best. Right. And, but, but to go back and be with your fellow constituents 
and and live in the bed that you've made or that's, not made. That's right. I think it's pretty interesting, and and it, and the it brings some true accountability. So, you, Dan, hopefully a whole host of other veterans. What are y'all going to do to change some of that? It seems like Congress has insulated themselves, and they're supposed to be representing the people. Yet they they don't they don't subject themselves to the same things that we do. So they don't really truly get to feel the pain, healthcare being an example, and some of the other other things that they've been able to to pass. So I think this really important is that you start to build a coalition. Again, you know, Dan Crenshaw begats a Wesley Hunt, Wesley Hunt begats the next person and the next person and the next person. So you see one person can't change Washington. That's not how this whole thing works. But when you have a coalition of people who are like-minded, that are patriots and understand what to do and what's in the best interest of their communities and have the courage to stick up for it, you build a coalition like that. Well, now you're dangerous and now we can really get some things done. And the one thing I've learned about team building in my life is how can I be that next incremental person to be got the next person to build that team? You can't get to two without one, can't get to three without two and so on and so forth. And so what we're trying to do down here, down here in Houston, and this is where Dan Crenshaw and I share a border with I-10, He's north, I'm south of it. Imagine what we can do for this district with the two of us having the entire energy corridor. And I will also add this, also having almost in its entirety attics and Barker reservoirs so we can start moving some dirt to help out with flooding instead of having to fight with the other side as to rather or not, we should be fixing our flooding infrastructure for the future when we already know we should have started these projects a long time ago. Again. No offense to Congresswoman Fletcher, but she won't even call Dan back. The whole point is to have people, regardless really of party, that are like-minded, that want to do what's in the best interest of this community. That point right there might be the most compelling point for the two districts to be on, to have leaders that are like-minded. I know, I mean, how many people do you know, David, that had 10 feet of water in their house? And, you know, and the only thing that they think is going to solve this is a lawsuit somewhere, which is absolutely not true. That is an interesting point. I had never even thought about that, how it's a phone call away for two people that want to work together to make actual solutions. I mean, I have many friends that would tell you that they went into depression after that flood. I'll take take it one step further. Dan and I are also military guys. The Army Corps of Engineers are the ones that are responsible for a lot of these projects. So when you have two military guys that have spent a lot of time in the military that understands exactly how the military works, we understand the bureaucracy, we understand how onerous and how cumbersome it can be at times, we know how to get around and run the trap to make sure that we get things done. It's very important to understand how that works. That is an interesting point. And right now, and right now, we have people in office that don't understand this. And so we're doing more studies after studies after studies. We, we, we've had one big study. It's called Hurricane Harvey. Okay. So, so let's get to work. The topography of Houston has not changed in 60 years. We've known what needs to get done. Let's do it. And this is where we, we, we know Dan Crenshaw is a go-getter. I'm a go-getter. Let's add a few more to the team, as we saw in. Well, in, don't in, steal my thunder that. here, because <laughs> I, I have one, one last note here. You've got you're you're about to reference the Texas Reloaded. Yes. So if you have not looked at this ad, you've most likely seen how many how many times has it been viewed on uh, YouTube? Have you seen it? Number? I, I haven't even seen. I know uh, millions, across all mediums, it's, it's, it's at least ten million. It's yeah. fantastic. It's uh, 
you know, we got a bunch of videos or people send it to us because you were obviously on the, the podcast earlier. If you haven't seen this, this is the video that starts with Dan, uh, Congressman Crenshaw kind of lifting his eye patch and doing a scan of the map. It's like, I need I need help, basically, is what he says. And he's like, all right, let's go to Wesley on. It, it's an, a phenomenal ad. I, you know, there's humor behind it. The guy's making fun of like, why are you in a helicopter? Why are you underneath the, you know, just everybody's kind of picking on each other. I, I just thought it was a great ad. So I, I hope that that kind of um, partnership, but, and, and really, I, I hope that all those people get elected, of course, yeah. for, you know, as apolitical as we can be. But it, I, I really hope that when you go there, you meet some group of Democrats that feels the same way about shaking hands and becoming friends and finding solutions. Well, that's actually part of my goal in the very beginning when I get there. I want to spend the first month knocking on every Democrat's door in the House that is a veteran. Because at a minimum, we at least agree right. on that. And if we could just lead with that, you know, it's going to be way easier to hash out our differences. And I think this is how we start to break down a lot of this division and dissension that we have seen. 2018 was the fewest number of veterans that we've had in the House and, and uh, in, in the Senate since World War II. That's that part of the problem. We need more of us. Absolutely. To work together to get some things done. So let's assume good things happen. What, in a week? Oh, my God. Yeah, eight days. I'm just ready eight for the, I, With all respect to your campaign, I just want, oh, I I want everything to end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I guess we'll go watch the Supreme Court fight for the next yeah, right. 90 days. <laughs> so is there going to be a Texas Reloaded Part 2? Are y'all going to go and, and are you going to jump out of a plane with Dan and, and, and drop into some other districts? We got some, and, we, we got ex- some ideas. Expand? We got some ideas. Okay. I, can't, okay. I, can't, I can't reveal what Ooh, I like it's like. It's top secret. But, I understand but, that. But, but we'll, uh, we'll see what Dan's magic eye says next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, so listen, we, we've held you here a long time. Um, usually we ask, is there a piece of advice uh, that you would like to leave the audience with or a pearl of wisdom? We've already asked that. You can go back and listen to it on the first one. Um, but you have a, a week plus, just over a week before the election. It, you're going to, one of the great things, yeah. I got, I got, I got a question for her. Oh, wait, then we'll come back to this one. Go well, ahead. Th- this, this would be, so if you had, if you had a chance to ask any of the voters that have not voted yet that are undecided as to which way they want to vote and they live in your district, what question would you ask them? What question would I ask them? Yes. Why are you so undecided? Again, why? Seek to understand why they're undecided. And then he or she would give me a response. Then I would understand where they came from and understand why they're undecided. And then hopefully I could provide them with viable solutions to make them undecided. But you always, you always start with the why. So you have, you have a, this audience is very large in your district. So just to kind of finish us off here, what, if you're going to speak to the voter right now, um, what would you like to, to end with? If every, if anyone's listening to this podcast, I want everyone listening to go vote. Quite frankly, I don't care who you vote for because there are people who sacrificed a whole lot for your very right to go vote. In the last podcast, I talked about my 14 classmates that are no longer with us and a good buddy of mine, David Frazier, and I gave his eulogy. You see, David Frazier and my 13 classmates died for your right to exercise your constitutional duty to go vote and elect the people that you think should represent you in office. While I hope the person you vote for is for me, it's less important. It's the meaning behind exercising your right to vote. It means a lot to me. 
Yeah, I think that's awesome. It's a good point, and I appreciate you sharing that. I think I think uh, there's so far over a million votes accounted for here in Harris County, which I think is pretty substantial given that you know it's early voting. I don't think I don't think they had anywhere near those numbers last election. As you're talking, uh, you know, finishing up that part there, I, I recall your last your summary the last time, and it's. It, you, 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 that was very, that was very big in the summertime. And you said, why do I kneel or why don't I kneel? Why? And you said, cause I've kneeled to give the flag to a, a weeping, a weeping spouse. Oh, I, I remember just getting chills hearing that the first time. And, you know, you're essentially saying the same thing today. And that's funny cause it's phrased two separate ways, but it ultimately means everything to you. Go vote. Go vote. I love Please it. Please go vote. Well, I mean, Dorota, I think we're getting better. I mean, I think this, I think we're, I think we're Rogan-esque, if you will. I'll tell Rogan, I'll tell Rogan, y'all get a run for his money. <laughs> so so t- tell us, uh, you know, it's still pretty cool in here, right? <laughs> you got to go to the new studio. But yeah. We didn't have any AC problems in here. No, no, right? No, y'all are great. Y'all are great. But, but the you got the, key, you you got like the tequila the, and everything. It's great. Uh, we drank it all, nice, huh? Leslie. Yeah. All that's gone. No, it's all gone. We've drank it's every drop. It's been gone. It's really just a prop. I'm really going to have to just fly up to. No, no, uh, he's, he, I talked to him last week. He's sending in more tequila. And so I'm about to go load up the plane with tequila. <laughs> the real problem is we, this, during the summer, when very few people were coming in at 3 p.m., this entire office turned into a bar. Of course. Nothing was getting done on Fridays. Everything was <laughs> ruined post 2.30. For the audience, no, I was working on Friday. Josh was here in the bar. And I was tending bar in my yeah. office. Yeah. Yes. Well, let me know. Call me next time. You're busy. Well, after you, after the fourth. Now, yeah, once fourth, we're gonna we'll have a celebration. We're gonna be super busy. Come on, I'll make some time for my guys. Get out of here. <laughs> I will take that. We will take you up on that. Well, listen, we're gonna wrap you up. Let you get going. I I just can't tell you how much we appreciate your time. My pleasure. Your people have been great dealing with. I mean, behind the scenes, you've got to. By the way, your staff. I mean, what is what's it like? I mean, I doubt you can survive with the amount of work, if you're putting in this, they've, they've got to be twofold of how much. Uh, the best staff in the country. Right. I'm not saying that lightly. I'm the best staff in the country. Full stop. The reason why we've been so successful is because of people that have been on this team have worked tirelessly for me to be here. So one thing that, you know, there, every military person has like two modes, right? There's like Wesley Hunt, and then there's Captain Hunt. You don't want to see Captain Hunt. Fortunately, I've worked with such competent people that I even haven't had to pull out Captain Hunt. And that is pretty cool. And I've never worked, I've been on a lot of teams, I've never worked on a team where everyone has such a high level of competence that I automatically just trust their judgment and we go from there. Doesn't mean that we don't disagree, but I trust in their competence. It's huge. So this is why a lot of the success that you've seen is not just me, of course. There is no such thing as a self-made candidate or a self-made man. There's always a team. There's always somebody behind the curtain that's really helping out with this whole thing. And I'm here to tell you, you're the best staff in the entire country. Well, that is, that's a high praiser because, you know, Captain Hunt, I thought you were going to describe your dad there for a second. And oh, I, no. I, I feel like we don't want to meet. My wife, nobody, wants, nobody wants to see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say you may go faster alone, but you go further together. That's right. Yeah. I love it. Well, listen, I'm going to wrap us up here. David, any comments? No, just always good to see you. Good really, to see you, brother. Really always excited. a pleasure. Yeah. No, I'm gonna see you. I'm gonna see you Halloween. We'll see. Don't try to make a stop by. Oh man. Listen, I, 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 it, I, it is here. It's here. Don't eat so much candy. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to thank everybody for paying attention one more time to the Oil Fill 360 podcast live from the Fletcher Azul Tequila Podcast Studio. I'm getting so good with that. That was a tongue twister at the beginning. Uh 
Mr. Hunt, congressional candidate, Wesley Hunt, District 7, go vote. Thank you for your time. My today. pleasure. What, one more. Uh, you're Wesley for Texas? Wesleyfortexas.com. Is, is it Texas or just TX? It's T-E-X-A-S, the whole word. Okay, so Wesleyfortexas.com. Wesley F-O-R, Wesleyfortexas. Wesleyfortexas.com. Uh, if you have any questions, as usual, if you have any complaints, send them to David at David at oilfield360.com. If you have any good news, send them to Josh at Josh <laughs> at oilfield360.com. I don't read any mail that doesn't start with, that was the best thing I've ever heard. So uh, this is great. Good luck to you, sir. Thank you. And, uh, when you win, go up there, represent us properly, fight for us. I know you will. And uh, we truly appreciate you and your wife's sacrifice and service here. Thank of you, course. sir. Thank you. Thank Mr. you. Good luck to you. Always a pleasure. This episode of the Oilfield 360 podcast was brought to you by the following companies. EIV Capital, a growth equity focused private equity firm, which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009. The team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit EIVcapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Merit Advisors, crafting holistic tax solutions to improve your cash flow and add profit back to your bottom line. When it comes to state and local taxes, Merit is the expert in the oil and gas industry. Visit MeritAdvisor.com. World Oil. For more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources, please visit worldoil.com slash subscribe. Thank you to our sponsors, Lockton Global Energy and Marine, Lockton.com, Tomahawk Safety, TomahawkSafety.com. Prang & Associates, Prang.com, Daniel Energy Partners, DanielEP.com, EIV Capital, EIVCapital.com, Galtway Marketing, GaltwayMarketing.com, Range Valuation Services, RangeValuationServices.com, Merit Advisors, MeritAdvisor.com, World Oil, WorldOil.com, Fletcher Azul Tequila, FletcherAzulTequila.com. For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors, please follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or at oilfield360.com.